Introducing Mortgage Matters. He has no idea how bad it is out there. He has no idea. A show dedicated to helping you navigate a challenging and ever-changing financial and real estate landscape. The economy continues to face numerous difficulties. Now, your hosts, Dan Podesto and Jason Grody of Central Coast Lending. The fact that you're being called upon to help clean up Wall Street's mess is an outrage. Broadcasting outrage. live from the KVEC studios in San Luis Obispo. What economy are you talking about? Don't go anywhere. Keep it locked to Mortgage Introducing Matters. I'm so mortgage sorry. That's my point. We'll go. Don't go anywhere. And Keep real it locked to Mortgage lens. Matters on KVEC News Talk 920. To ask a question, call 543-8830 or 800-549-5832. We'll be back in just a few minutes. Through seven presidential... Introducing Mortgage Matters. A show dedicated to helping you navigate a challenging and ever-changing financial and real estate landscape. Now, your hosts, Dan Podesto and Jason Brody of Central Coast Lending. Broadcasting live from the KBEC studios in San Luis Obispo. It's time for Mortgage Matters. Matters. San Luis Obispo, Paso Robles, and Santa Maria. Blakesley and Blakesley, for the service you deserve and the advice you trust. Member FINRA and SIPC. I think we got it. Sorry about that, guys. Welcome back. You're listening to Mortgage Matters with hosts Dan and Jason from San... Welcome back. You're listening to Mortgage... Welcome back. You're listening to Mortgage Matters with hosts Dan and Jason from Central Say Coast Lending. Name a lot if anyway. you want to join the conversation, call the show at 543-8830 or 800-549-5832. Now, here's Dan and Jason. Go. Just go. We're good. Maybe we'll give it a minute to see what happens. <laughs> I am so sorry. Uh, nothing like starting the new year with a little wow. <laughs> Mortgage Matters intro remix. Somebody put yeah. a pause. <laughs> Somebody put a pause where it shouldn't have been. I'm uh, sorry. That was at so least sorry. very entertaining. I, got, I, was I was getting hyped. I felt like it was like a like a WWF so thing so or something. I am so sorry. That was oh, so funny. God. Oh my I, gosh. This just proves that this is live radio and we roll with the punches. It wouldn't it wouldn't stop. <laughs> good times good way to start the year i yeah, like it i'm so sorry guys ah, that's, that's right. good i forgave you after the first apology <laughs> there, there we go. go okay it stopped i mean i don't even know how to follow that we should just end the show now maybe you could do another hour and a half no. of exit songs and we can we can just be done with it i gotta figure this out <laughs> Something got put in the wrong place. Sure. I'm afraid to go to break now. No. <laughs> All right, we'll be back. <laughs> Going to break's fine. It's coming back out. That's the. That's where the trouble starts. Oh, good times. Hey, well, happy uh, New Year, everybody. Welcome to Mortgage <clears throat> Matters. It's the first live show of the year. Yeah, feels like we've been on hiatus. Uh, well. Not necessarily live. I mean, it's, I mean, it's the, the first, first show. show. Yeah, it's the I'm first like, show. It's the first minute. live it's one. The fourth, Dan. <laughs> it's the first live one we've done in three weeks. True, true. Yeah, it feels like we've kind of been on hi- hiatus for a little while here. Um, hopefully, we still remember how to do this thing. I'll figure out the computer again. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't directed at Jim, but fair enough. 
<laughs> so uh, ate a little too much over the holidays. The fingers got fat. Hitting four fingers, <laughs> four keys at once. That's right. Four commercials. Oh. Run. <laughs> what? Uh, wow. How was New Year's? It was good. It was good. Did you come up with a resolution? No. No. No, I didn't. I didn't really come up with anything. Resolutions always seem like one of those things you're like, you think about it, you come up with one, and then you get into your normal routine and you kind of forget what you even thought of by the time it's mid-January. Mid? It's <laughs> First week? To, you're supposed to be at least be able to do it for a few months. Mm. You know, I, The thing I like about resolutions in general, or goals where maybe even some an goals. ambitious goal. I have some goals for the year, but... Yeah, well... Nothing that I'm so committed to that I'm willing to call it a resolution. <laughs> <laughs> well, anyway, my, my feeling on the matter is if you like make a firm commitment to yourself at the first of the year, even if you can only do it for a while, aren't you better for having made a, a good effort? I guess it dis it depends on how you respond to not meeting your goals so if yeah so if, if, <laughs> if you fall into a deep dark depression then i'd say it's not really benefiting you failure is not an option so i don't try <laughs> that's terrible <laughs> welcome to the new year i'm not gonna do anything <laughs> last time i tried to do things and i didn't even get close <laughs> oh boy yeah i understand what you're saying though it's it's tough like that um, what's your resolution did you come up with the resolution no, I have like um, not necessarily a resolution. There's some things that I'm going to get better at. I wanted to make a resolution of like not having a drink out of a disposable container, like not buying beverages from disposable containers. I was, but that's that's impossible to do that completely because all of a sudden I thought about like even beer. I was like, Whoa. but that's recyclable. Yeah, uh, there we go. I, but if then if you draw the line like back in the sand that you'll allow recyclables, then you could buy like aluminum and plastic and so all in all, my resolution then just kind of is to be significantly more aware of it and make conscious decisions not to without trying to make like an all or nothing kind of thing. Not very exciting, huh? I think you're being a little hard on yourself about the container thing. I think a recyclable container well, dude, is started, a good. I started good reading option. all about that trash pile though, out in the ocean. Yeah, that's pretty alarming. It's stuff. a big. It's a big pile Super of trash. Super scary. Yeah. And when you think about like, <laughs> even if you're doing recyclable stuff, I think honestly the biggest thing right now that's freaking me out is plastic. Yeah, it's those plastic water bottles. Dude, those are the some of so the worst things. I try to never buy those, but. Um, I mean, in the most dire of circumstances, sometimes you have to, you know, but the, yeah, there's like a, there's something the size of Texas floating in the ocean and it's made of like plastic waste. <laughs> I'm laughing at your, your dire circumstances and <laughs> thinking how relative the word dire can be. Mm. <laughs> it's not like you're stranded in the desert. In the oh Sahara. my God, I have to buy this. Thank God it's 7-Eleven. <laughs> All you've got is these bottles of water. No. Okay, whatever. It's just not as exciting as it used to be way back when with the resolutions, you know? I'm going to run a marathon, stop robbing banks, any of that stuff. <laughs> not as big. 
But uh, yeah, so New Year's is good. It's fun. So far, I like it. <laughs> Four days in, yeah, might but... be too early to tell. <laughs> we haven't had a show yet since the government decided to start tapering the. We talked about this for yeah. a, a good long while. We made some predictions going out of our last show of the of 2013, and we were wrong. Zero recollection at all about the predictions. Well, I, I, we didn't predict so much on the taper, but for several shows leading up to the last show of last year, we were pretty convinced that tapering wasn't going to occur until later in the first you quarter. You know, I think, yeah, agreed. And I've been saying that for a long time, that I didn't think that anything would happen until March. I think in my mind I had it like... I would think I was equating taper to stop, even though the like the most basic terminology here is completely opposite. I think in my mind, because I knew the market would kind of like knee jerk and freak out a little bit over the policy shift and what it meant, I really kind of felt like they wouldn't begin that stop for a while longer. And then and then I, I kind of feel like the feds almost outsmarted everyone. They dropped five billion of each, and and of each I mean the normal um, treasuries that they're buying, and then and then also the mortgage-backed securities. There's always been a budget of both. They dropped five billion off of each. Um, so all in all, they reduced the entire buying from eighty-five billion to seventy-five billion. It didn't occur to me that they would go so light on the taper. I thought it was going to be something a little more substantial and i also think that in my mind i was envisioning with the taper an announcement of a taper schedule or something that would be followed and 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 i really felt like the introduction of a taper of some magnitude with a plan would really shock the markets but instead they didn't change the policy all too much they said we're going to keep watching this stuff and we're just taking out a little bit going to see what happens and I guess it makes a lot of sense, but I, I don't know. Um, I, that was not something that I expected. And, um, you know, so. It was something that I considered. I, I think that there were some discussions that they might go light. And I, I think as far as tapering goes, we, we have to. I, I think tapering really started back in June of 2013 with just discussions of tapering because the markets reacted then. That was where the most volatile reaction occurred was in June sure. and then again in September of last year um, where the 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 anticipation of of feds uh, of the fed pulling back on their treasuries and mortgage-backed securities buying had an instant reaction in the bond market it I mean rates rose anywhere between a percent and a percent and a half over the last half of last year and that in itself was a taper um, now we're actually seeing the scaling back of bond buying. And I think what's exciting going forward is that we're going to return to uh, an economic environment where the feds aren't buying or stimulating through artificial means. It's going to, we're going to get back to a market that's standing on its own two feet. And I think that's exciting. Um, Bernanke 
did what is believed to be his last press conference um, as Fed chairman this past week. And he expressed some excitement for a strong economy, especially coming out of the out of the gate here. Um, the early half of 2014 shows that American finances have improved. The outlook for home sales is brighter. Um, some of that's that banks are are forecast to be loosening up guidelines a little bit, lending a little more. So even though rates might be higher, there's going to be a little more access to um, to qualifying because of loosened guidelines. Um, and then we're getting past the the Fed, or I'm sorry, the federal government issues with um, debt but, ceiling and deficit and spending cuts and tax increases and those things. Th those issues are getting addressed. I don't know. If I'm, I'm hesitant to say they're getting resolved, but there's some hope that we're going to get past those issues here, and that's going to be a good environment for continued growth in the economy. So. I think that we're definitely ready. I, I think where I was caught a little bit off guard with the tapering announcement um, was just there's been such an effort to be transparent, for the Fed to be transparent, and I didn't feel like they were. Um, it, it seemed like it was a big guessing game. Everywhere you turned on television or opened up a paper, um, there's a bunch of guessing, but the message that was delivered over the past six months from the Fed was six and a half percent unemployment rate. We hadn't been there. Um, we're looking at the data and the, all of the, the winter numbers, which is heavily based in retail sales because it's the you know, Black Friday, Cyber Monday, all the Christmas shopping season. Those numbers were down. And so it didn't seem like we had a strong consumer. So when the Fed's saying, hey, we're looking at lower unemployment and we're looking at at the economic numbers, and the economic numbers aren't looking amazing, that's what kind of caught me off guard. Yeah, those are all good points. I agree. I I was just I was just kind of surprised by the whole thing. And I do, I wonder, you know, sometimes I think that the the amount of stimulus that's gone on and as long as it's as it's happened, um, it's it's an insane amount of money. Um there I had uh, some stats in here. I wonder if I kept them. It was about the Fed's balance sheet. It's grown considerably. And the the reality of it is, is that this can't really go on forever. I mean, it's just, it it's shocking how far it's gone already. And I think that truly, maybe they've recognized that it's nearing crisis mode. And as as much as they have been able to get the economy together and 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 kind of pull them up by the bootstraps here, it's time to uh, begin scaling out because no matter what, the dance has got to be up soon. I mean, because honestly, even if you started see unemployment go the other way, let's just say horribly, everything began to erode. And consumer confidence slid and we saw layoffs. We saw um, all of the same conditions we had before falling values of real estate. Um, all of these things going on all the while, interest rates increasing. Can the Fed come out and bomb another $20 trillion at this thing? Is that going to happen? They've left the door open to that possibility. But, but truly, though, I think it's at doubtful. some point, you're going to have to say, you know, 
We gave it a valiant effort using all of the tools we have in the bag, kept the overnight rate at zero for five years. We did three rounds of quantitative easing. One, you know, round one was um, a substantial amount of money. I think it was $250 billion. Round two kicked it up to $1.2 trillion um, and both had definitive dates. The dates played into effect. People could time out when the buying was going to slow and ultimately cease. They rolled out round three and said, we're going to buy this on an open-ended agreement now at $85 billion a month. Um, we'll tell you uh, that it's going to be a long time before we stop. And then, you know, did it help? Yeah, I think it helped. It got the mortgage interest rate to 3% for about a year, and a lot of people got good low interest rates. A lot of people bought homes. We turned around the fundamental ideal about housing, I think, simply because of interest rates. Um, and we all kind of benefited from that. I think everybody really did. It, it, it did put some steam into the economy that was really lacking. If that doesn't work, though, and we kind of begin to grind back into a slowing pattern, um, perhaps face another recession, is there a point in trying it again? Or do you have to begin to listen to those free market economists that say you just got to let it run its course? Yeah, I don't I don't see them um, backtracking on on the policy trend that they're on now. I, th I think we're going to see the gradual exiting from this bond buying. I think what, what it really did was it helped smooth out the recovery. Rather than having these extreme ups and downs after you know a major boom in real estate and then a major crash, and then you would expect some real turbulent times after that, um, this bond buying, the quantitative easing, all of, all of the stimulus really helped smooth out the recovery process and stabilize the market. And now we're in a position to begin a slow, steady move forward and hopefully higher. Well, smooth out indeed. And it did effectively smoothed out. I mean, it, you remember how crazy volatile things were from 07 to 09 before we really got in the thick of these things taking hold and working. It was very volatile. Nobody wanted to be invested. Nobody wanted to be purchasing real estate. It was, everything was so sketchy. It definitely smoothed it out. The one thing I can't help but wonder about all the time is, did we make it longer? Perhaps we smoothed it out, but if you just got the old one-two punch out of the way, uh, would we already be well clear of this? You know, did we draw it out? Because this has been going on for quite a while now. Do we draw it out because of the the way the 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 feds and their policy chose to intervene? It's a great question. I think what what was disclosed at this last interview was there was a genuine concern um, or press conference, I should say, with Ben Bernanke. There was a genuine concern for deflation. Yeah. So by by spending. By, by injecting all of this money into the economy, it's, it's inflationary in, in its nature, and that's what they wanted because they were really concerned about the opposite happening. They were concerned about So deflation. that'll be the metric to keep an eye on then. As they begin to pull this money out, does it have a negative impact on inflation? Right. If inflation begins to decline to a point where you have to be concerned about it again, then is it all for naught? I mean, that that's the kind of thing. And I think we just have played it out far enough that it's time to pull the plug and see what happens. So they started pulling the plug. Anyway, the 10-year the yield, 
started the year at 1.75 and finished at 3.03. That's what happened over the course of the year. And and as you well know, there was 1.75. That wasn't quite the low of the lows. It was a lot lower than that at some point. Well, not a lot, but it felt a considerable amount lower. Um, And interest rates really began the year at about 3% and wrapped up at about 4 and 5 eighths. So that's big movement. I mean, that that is, over the course of the year, is really big. We know, our listeners know, this is really most of that movement, 90% of that movement has happened since June. Mm-hmm. So we took the last <clears throat> two quarters of the year here um, kind of on the chin in, in – Lots of positive news, a lot of good things going on, but boy, did it have an impact and has really changed the course of what interest rates and all that is doing. Question is, is that bleeding over into housing now? Um, So let's talk more about that after the break. We're going to get out for the first commercial break, take some time to thank the sponsors. Hope you'll stick around for more Mortgage Matters. Don't go anywhere. Keep it locked to Mortgage Matters on KVEC News Talk 920. To ask a question, call 543-8830 or 800-549-5832. We'll be back in just a few minutes. Through seven presidential administrations, bull and bear markets, and unprecedented change, Blakesley and Blakesley has been here helping residents of the Central Coast reach their financial goals. So if you need retirement advice beyond Social Security, want to roll over an old 401k, or simply seek guidance through an important financial decision, visit Blakesley and Blakesley in San Luis Obispo, Paso Robles, and Santa Maria. Blakesley and Blakesley, for the service you deserve and the advice you trust. Member FINRA and SIPC. We're the mortgage experts on the Central Coast. Central Coast Lending, Central Coast Lending. When you buy or refinance a home, just call 543-LOAN. Just call 543-LOAN. Just call 543-LOAN. We're the mortgage experts on the Central Coast. Central Coast Lending. Central Coast Lending is locally owned and operated with locations in Paso, Morro Bay, San Obispo, and Arroyo Grande. Central Coast Lending, the mortgage experts. For those of us who live here on the Central Coast, we know this is a unique place to have a home. And for over 30 years, Patterson Realty has been a vital part of San Luis Obispo County. Patterson professionals have led the way in real estate by adapting to new market conditions to make sales happen. What they offer is the quality of their people, agents working just for you. Get the experts at Patterson Realty on your side. Experience the Patterson difference. Call 544-8662 or online at pattersonrealty.com. What a state of generosity. Look what my agent got for me. Just by switching to State Farm. A few hundred unexpected bucks. I couldn't ask for more. But now I've got to figure out what I should use it for. A new bike would be radical, but maybe something practical, like a pet baboon with one robotic arm. Get to a better state, State Farm. Switch to State Farm and you can save. To find out more in San Luis Obispo, call Agent Susan Rodriguez. Welcome back. You're listening to Mortgage Matters with host Dan and Jason from Central Coast Lending. If you want to join the conversation, call the show at 543-8830 or 800-549-5832. Now, here's Dan and Jason. All right, everybody, welcome back to Mortgage Matters. I can't believe it's already 2014. I was um, now 
Yeah, I'm dating myself. I guess I know. Most people have gathered, if you listen to the show long enough, I'm 35 years old, right? Yeah. Yeah. And that's not that young. That's not obviously old. It's a solid halfway to 70, though. I've got the a little older bit of I life. get, the younger that seems. I got a little bit of life experience <laughs> under my belt. Mm-hmm. Sure. I'm qualified to like tell a 20-year-old what to expect, probably. Somewhere in there. I mean, heck, I'm parenting. I'm raising kids, man. I'm growing humans. I I have a little bit. I got a little bit of wherewithal now. Well, and I've known you for over 10 years, and you've packed, I think, twice the amount of life experiences into your life than most oh, people your age. Yeah. I've, Which I don't even, sometimes I don't even know if I believe it all, but, I mean, sure enough, you, it, it's true. Would Jason be able to talk and tell a story? Yeah, you, I mean the first the first year or two, I thought this guy was just full of it, and um, no, it comes. <laughs> I've come to know that he's actually I had a lot of lot life experiences. Extraordinary things happen to me. Um, yeah. So, anyways, I was I was at New Year's Eve, and I was thinking about Y two K. I remember that. Everything's going to shut down. Oh, my God. People were, like, <laughs> stockpiling water and money. And, oh, the problem that. was, like, everything everywhere that has any kind of circuit board and it wasn't prepared for the set of zeros. And you're not even going to be able to make coffee. <laughs> right? Yeah, like, you I couldn't go to that. the ATM. Like, I mean, it was so exciting. And I was, so I was thinking about that. I was like, holy smokes, that was 14 years ago? Mm -hmm. like, I remember we were out in the street because we didn't know what was going to I wanted to see the flash if that's what was happening. <laughs> <laughs> what a snooze, dude. Nothing even happened. But, yeah, it caught me. It just tripped me out that that, oh, what a blink of an eye. 14 years have passed. Mm -hmm. Kind of a trip. That seems to me to happen um, each year on New Year's and my birthday. And you probably my kid's birthday you, too. No, just the like, the, the the realization, the definiteness of the fact that another year has passed. Uh, it's in the books, you know. It's just a trippy thing. That's all. We made it though. Yeah, totally. No crazy fireball from the sky. No computer meltdown. Mm -mm. Here we are, yeah. another year. They were scared here at the radio station that everything wasn't going to work. Right? Because it all had a, it it's all had, had some kind of date and in it. you know what happened? In January 1st, Nathan. it rolled over to 2000 and nothing happened. Boring. I don't know if this is true at all or not, but I heard that way back when at the thousand year mark, that was like, of course, there wasn't all the electronics and stuff, but people really freaked out. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think because in the Bible they do talk about like millenniums and the significance of millenniums and but yeah I I heard um, I read once that in the year one thousand it was similar people thought that the stroke of midnight was the end of humanity and I just thought man that's so weird mm -hmm. so interesting mm -hmm. stuff so what's gonna happen in year three thousand now nothing but I'm sure there'll <laughs> be all kinds of hype about it probably yeah. Um, Hey, so we've been talking a little bit about this uh, this taper thing that's been going on. Um, oh, what did so remember? Taper tantrum came out. I wanted to. I wish we could do this um, thing. Taper tantrum, right? That was like the cool word that came out sometime around June when the Fed said they were going to do this, and everyone started reeling. Um, 
we also had like back in the day um the the tech crash what what was the the dot com they had a um a, there was a new name for that that i heard this week instead of the dot com bubble they called it like the uh what was it called the tech tank or something and so anyways, I, there's all these fun little names to everything. Um, I just thought that was pretty exciting. I want to I keep hearing all the new names these guys come up. But so Taper Tantrum is gone. Nobody's having tantrums over it anymore, right? We've really moved on from it. Um, popped up in the headlines this week, Tarp. Remember Tarp? I do remember Tarp. Tarp was one of my favorite things. In fact, the first QE, the first quantitative easing was part of the Tarp plan. Yeah. Um, Obama caught a lot of flack for TARP when TARP first rolled out. And then it came, I saw this poll, they polled like everyone was all pissed off about TARP because the government was sticking their nose where it didn't belong and bailing out the fat cat banks with their golden parachutes and all this stuff, right? It was somebody to hate. And it was like Obama, this guy. Um, they polled Americans, 66% of Americans believed Obama was the inventor of TARP. Turns out that it was like a Bush program is where it began. And um, it's kind of funny thing. But, yeah, so remember TARP? It was so long ago. Tarp And TARP coughed up almost a half a trillion dollars. A lot of dough went out in TARP. And it went to a whole funny, when you get down and look at it, uh, the kind of bailouts that TARP made. Um, TARP kicked out a whole bunch of money. Um, and I brought a little bit of a scorecard here just kind of help you trip out a little bit on tarp it's almost over by the way they shelled out um all told 421.9 billion dollars wow guess what's been recouped today <clears throat> 400 billion 432 more eight billion more than was shelled out huh? yeah it's profitable tarp turned a profit um of Gosh, ten billion dollars on four hundred billion. I mean, that's, what kind of return is that? That's not that good. A I don't quarter think. Percent. Yeah, but hey, man, they intervened in a time where the. I mean, at that point, you're talking. I saw interviews with President Bush when they were asking him more or less interrogating him about how he. Hey, a quarter percent's more than I'm getting in a money market right now, dude. <laughs> Um, I invite you to give $400 billion to failing businesses around the nation and then even break even on it, dude. That's pretty impressive. It is. Um, so, yeah, after the whole TARP deal, we made a little bit of money on it. Um, when I say that, ultimately the Treasury, I'm not sure where that profit goes. It probably just gets spilled over into, like, bonuses of Congress for making good <laughs> deals or something. Um, part of that... Profit, though, is remaining investment in AIG. So technically there still is. They count it as profit because it's the investment in. So it could tank, I guess. It could also go up. So some part of it sounds like it's still um, on the table. However, um, that's that was pretty impressive. It was nice to see. I would have expected, like, see, you, you're one of the smartest guys I know. I told you they gave out four hundred twenty billion. What'd they get back? You said four hundred. So your idea is, hey, they probably lost twenty billion. 
they probably lost a half a percent on what they you know gave up. This is like, nope, they made it, made profit. That's good stuff. Hey, so you teased us going into the break that we were gonna parlay our taper talk into how it's impacting housing. They am a lamb. Yeah, dude. So all of the all of this interest rate stuff is supposed to just take the wind out of the sale of housing, right? Um, Don't you think it has to some degree? Totally. I mean, we were gangbusters the first half of the year. Actually, prior to June, the 18 months before that was so busy. Totally. Um, and then all of a sudden, the talk of taper led rates higher and really slowed down Definitely the refi market. The refi market hit a wall. Grinded to almost <laughs> a screeching halt. Yeah. If you're refinancing today, um, there's still a handful of reasons why you really have to. None of them are just people coming in to come out the other side with a lower payment. There are a lot of people who could, though. Yeah. But those people, they had their head in the sand for the last five years, and I think it's still in the sand. <laughs> Or whatever logic they justified to say, I'm going to keep this 5.5% loan. I'm going to keep this 6.5% loan. Whatever, however they were doing that before, they're like because they live, I don't know, they're like a prepper out in the middle of the woods or something. Those guys are, <laughs> they're not coming forward then, they're not coming forward today. Uh, but yeah, anyways, back to the point. Yeah, did it change loan origination volume? You bet. And the banks, we're going to begin to see... Um, as we see fourth quarter stuff, I think we're going to be able to see a lot of um, the banks suffering from that lack of revenue. Volumes are down incredibly. They've had to um, trim staffs and and kind of reposition for the the new mortgage volume. Um, but yeah, that. So when you go back and say, well, how was it for the first half of the year? You use the word gangbusters. Um, yeah, dude, crazy. They had so many people uh, lining up to fight over buying homes, overbidding, 6, 8, 10, 12 offers, banks playing games where they could just have a bunch of people submit their highest bids and then counter back to even higher bids without knowing if you're just bidding against yourself or not. I mean, there was such a frenzy that that it was lopsided. And um you know, here's the reality. Everybody's grateful to have um, made a little bit of equity, I think, from all of that fantastic interest in housing. Are we ready for 15% a year now? You want to do that for five years? Mm -hmm. No, no. When you talk to like a homeowner, you go, whoa, 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 hang on. Yeah, I'm happy that my, my deal's like going up a little bit. I don't want my house to be worth $800,000 again. That very volatility is freaky and scary. Well, I mean, I do. <laughs> I want my house to be worth a whole bunch more than it is today, but I don't Trouble think that's is, healthy. You're not going to handle that the way that most people handled it, which was taking lines of credit and you know buying a trailer for the river and a jet boat and all the junk they had that they couldn't afford on a loan they weren't even making the principal payment on. Yeah, I don't think it's healthy. I don't think it's realistic to expect that. In no. fact, I think the latest S&P Case-Shiller home price index is already showing a, a big slowdown in the appreciation. Yeah. Um, so, I, you know, we, we're still, even with 
rates moving but higher. But from like still 13 supply. thirteen percent down to probably seven for twenty fourteen, right? That's cool. That's realistic. That's fine. That's real. If anything, it's actually still a little bit high. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if it was less than five percent. Yeah. Um, in fact, I would argue that anything above flat is fine. I kind of expected that coming out of this recovery. Um, but when you look back over what happened, the fact that people could, with these low rates, they could qualify for more payment, right? Which produced, I'm going to use the word here, an artificial affordability. Um, they got into a feeding fury. And I think that part of it as like, you know, the, the feds pulling on the strings and everything here in June probably did start to say, Whoa, we have a problem here with the appreciation, the overbuying, um, people fighting over themselves really nationally to buy. And we're, we've triggered now an avalanche of just, feeding frenzy in the housing market and we got to cool it off. And at the time in June, you probably, especially if you own a mortgage company, you go, what are they doing? Are they crazy? This is so dumb. They're going to slow things down and hurt it. Um, they had to though. I mean, it, it, it had to happen. Th those days are behind us. And did it take some of the steam out of the housing market? You bet. Did it kill the housing market? Definitely not. And that's the thing, um, you know, so like we, we learned November, November pending home sales were up. So more contracts pending, which is going to lead to the actual sales. Um, existing home sales are up. New home sales are down 2.1% in November. However, that's still over 16% better than it was in 2012. So um, maybe we crested that, like the hump of the fury of buying on the new home side. Maybe not. I don't know. Um, when you look at some of the bigger markets, the, the bigger cities, there's still multiple offers coming in on homes. And, and when you just here. look at months of supply of housing inventory, it's still below what we would consider a normal market. Yeah. Marketing days, well, we just got a... a a, a video produced by a local real estate company where they put a lot of these numbers into into different pie charts and graphs we're below we're right around 60 days in most every city in our county for days on market that's an that's a pretty fast marketing time for a home it was very low normally i mean a normal market it's 90 to 120 right, right. 90 to 120 days to market yeah. a home we're we're half of normal yeah basically half of the high side of normal and that's going to lead to multiple bids, bids at or over asking price, and in a frenzy that uh, it, it 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 truly it still has been that way. Um, I of all of the escrows that um, I've been working on for the last six months and the ones that um, I have going forward, it's every time it's that way. Hey, we need to get this prequal letter. We need to get it in today because there are other offers and we're trying to be the strongest. And the strongest is generally equating to a full list price offer. Um, you know, I think if you're bringing a house to market today as a seller, you don't just get to add the five or seven percent 
um, over what the last ones in the neighborhood sold for. I think you pretty much list them for what the last ones in the neighborhood sold for. And they're pretty much, that's like the equilibrium and they're fetching that. Um, back to that housing stuff, construction spending um, came out this last week for the month of November, the strongest pace in more than four years. Um, solid gains in home construction and commercial construction projects. Um, that seeing that push on in light of six months now of these this new environment of higher rates and knowing the Fed's going to taper and all these kinds of things to see this stuff moving to see pending contracts increasing. Um, yeah, maybe we took some of the steam out of housing instead of 12 offers. Now there are two or three that compete. That's fine, you know? So all in all, I think that from that standpoint, that the housing stuff is still doing pretty well. And most everybody agrees that uh, one of the things that we need to do is build more housing. The lack of demand creates the appreciation that... The lack of supply. Or, yeah, lack of supply. And, and what that then causes is... It begs you to use the word bubble. You need to have a healthy balance of supply and demand. And so far for the last few years here, all we've really had is a, a crazy demand with an undersupply. And, and I'm glad you brought up balance because one thing that was out of balance with the low interest rates was the ability to put money away into savings and get a return on that. And that affected a lot of people who are established in their home. Maybe they don't even have a mortgage. They don't care about how low mortgage rates are. They care about what's my retirement account doing. Uh, when you think about that, I read some really great pieces earlier in the year about who's really being damaged by these. And if you look at like the the retirees that have don't even have a mortgage, but they're living on a pension or a social security where they haven't been getting the cost of living increases. They're not able to make the, the home balance sheet, so to speak, is effectively zero across the board. And though inflation's been small, things have been going up, specifically healthcare, all those costs increasing. Those people, there's a lot of people that are damaged by the fact that we've been at 0% for so long. Um, have you noticed, I haven't really paid close attention now that adjustable rate loans are so far out, but have you noticed a, a, any significant change in any of like the indices like the LIBOR or anything in the last six months since the taper stuff? Or they're still trucking along right with the overnight rates staying next yeah. to nothing? Yeah, they're still remaining pretty low, but I think... As so it's about a good time to go out and buy like a car or something now if you have to get one and catch the tail end of the 0% stuff there. Because so I think before the end of the year, we're going to start to see the rest of those interest rates begin to creep the way that the mortgage rates have gone. I agree. Hey, we need to do the final commercial break of this hour. Um, take some time out to thank the sponsors that make it possible. Stick around with us. We'll be back with more Mortgage Matters. Mortgage Matters with host Dan and Jason will be right back. Join the conversation by calling 543-8830 or 800-549-5832. 
through seven presidential administrations, bull and bear markets, and unprecedented change. Blakesley & Blakesley has been here helping residents of the Central Coast reach their financial goals. So if you need retirement advice beyond Social Security, want to roll over an old 401k, or simply seek guidance through an important financial decision, visit Blakesley & Blakesley in San Luis Obispo, Paso Robles, and Santa Maria. Blakesley & Blakesley, for the service you deserve and the advice you trust. Member FINRA and SIPC. The state of denial is a drag and a trial. When I bought my cheap insurance, should have known this day would come. Now I've had an accident and I'm feeling quite alone. Called them at least 20 times, but they won't pick up the phone. Without personal service, my policy's kind of worthless. Get to a better state, State Farm. Switch to State Farm and you can save. To find out more in San Luis Obispo, call Agent Susan Rodriguez. We're the mortgage experts on the Central Coast. Central Coast Lending, Central Coast Lending. When you buy or refinance a home, just call 543-LOAN. Just call 543-LOAN. Just call 543-LOAN. We're the mortgage experts on the Central Coast. Central Coast Lending. Central Coast Lending is locally owned and operated with locations in Paso, Morro Bay, San Luis Obispo, and Arroyo Grande. Central Coast Lending, the mortgage experts. For those of us who live here on the Central Coast, we know this is a unique place to have a home. And for over 30 years, Patterson Realty has been a vital part of San Luis Obispo County. Patterson professionals have led the way in real estate by adapting to new market conditions to make sales happen. What they offer is the quality of their people, agents working just for you. Get the experts at Patterson Realty on your side. Experience the Patterson difference. Call 544-8662 or online at pattersonrealty.com. You're listening to Mortgage Matters on KVEC News Talk 920. If you missed any part of the show, log on to centralcoastlending.com for archived shows and more. Now, back to your hosts, Dan and Jason from Central Coast Lending. you guys welcome back to mortgage matters a lot of fun discussion so far today it's good to be back it is this is i uh you figured it out for me perhaps maybe you were even envious you said something to the effect of like it was like i was doing one show in a five-week period yeah or something. yeah well played. <laughs> Good scheduling. <laughs> yes, I didn't. It was certainly not intentional, but um, I did. I miss coming in. Yeah, yeah. I like I like doing the show. As strange can, as that sounds, today's today's been fun because even in the breaks, the conversation keeps rolling. The only difference is the mics aren't on. Right. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's fun though. Um, I kind of liked what we were talking about about you know just in this last break that there it never really feels like there's a good time to pull the plug on free money no you were using the analogy of a of a college student getting the <laughs> the stipend from the parents and yeah when's the good time you know it's got to end sometime when's a good time for it to end well it always hurts for the receiver always <laughs> so so if the market is the receiver in this case then um 
you're never going to be happy about it. You know, it's funny, too, going back to, like, June, you know when this all started? It it made this, like, it inverted the logic. There was a logic inversion. Is that, can you even say that? Um, all of a sudden, the good news that would usually spur growth in the stock market and, and drive bond prices um, up and just have a predictable outcome we started to see all this bizarro logic of like, yeah, well, um, we're not happy today that we created a whole lot of jobs in the stock market uh, because that means they're likely to taper. And the sooner they taper, then we're, then stocks are going to go down. You used to go, wait a minute, strong job numbers used to really drive the stock market nuts into the green. And now you're over here saying... Hey, hey, everybody, quiet down. Yeah, let's let this good news just kind of sneak by because if we talk about it, dad's going to take away the car. Right. And it's like, hey, that's that's a good clue that the the intention has run its course. Right. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, <laughs> when, when, the, when people have budgeted now on the dollars from heaven and the normal logic is no longer applying, that's a good indication that yeah, it probably is. We're a little punch drunk now. It's time to... To wrap this party up and send everybody home. Yeah. In housing, you know, we're seeing a lot of the the beneficiaries of these low interest rates and these lower home values are a lot of investors. These are the people with cash to spend on homes. And, you know, that's not necessarily who I think the the intended beneficiary of the low interest rate environment was supposed to be. We're supposed to get the battered homeowners um, cured, you know, they're supposed hey, to look, lower their rates. And... People that know me know that I speak frankly. And I know it doesn't work for everyone. There's an awful lot of people that want to come in and do loans with me, and they love just the, the straight, frank way that I deal. I want to tell you who benefited the most from these falling interest rates over the last six years, besides me and you. Um <laughs> We had people refinance four times. Totally. In fact, it wasn't uncommon. I would say the average client of ours in a refinance um, refied twice on average. Some that were really smart did it like four times. Some did it like twice a year. Yeah. <laughs> well, they could understand the principle of a no-cost refi. And we did a lot of a good job talking and explaining our way through that to people that, hey, look, because of the way our company's structured, we don't just pocket all the extra dough. We can put it all towards your fees. You can literally go through this thing at worst buying an appraisal. And if you come out on the other side with a lower interest rate and it saves you 40 grand over the life of the loan, why not? And so I saw people that were already pretty well set. They had equity, they had jobs, they had savings, they had good credit. They weren't a, a threat to foreclosure in any way, shape, or form. And they were really happy to take their 6% to 5 And when their 5% could go to 4.5%, that was like, wow, I never thought I'd get a 45 And then when they came back in for a 3 and 7 eighths, it was like, interest rates in the threes? This is ridiculous. And then when we refied them again at 3 and a quarter. Um, I mean, if, if there's, if you want to stack up who got all the help, uh, I'm going to argue that, um, some of the more affluent people got more of the help period. 
I'm, I won't sell myself short. I'll tell you about the other people that got a lot of help. First time home buyers, boy, did they benefit. Uh, I remember when I was in college, I was looking around going, this is dumb. These houses are so unaffordable. I'm never going to be able to own a house in this town ever. Um, the house that you rented for 1500 bucks a month cost 500 grand to buy. And if you wanted to buy it, you had to like do some crazy loan to make it happen and hope that you could refi it again in a couple years into something that wasn't going to destroy you down the road. Um, then suddenly a fresh generation of kids came in, you know, and said, Hey, that's pretty cool. These houses are two, 300 grand and the interest rates are really low. I can afford it. I'm going to take one. It's the same price as my rent. Um, a lot of people benefited from that. So some help to the street, but all together, like those harp programs and the modification programs and all that miserable failure. Uh, they never did what they were supposed to do. Um, we continue to extend them. I don't, I don't, yes, there was people that were helped by harp for sure. Didn't reach didn't reach the not even the 3 million people or whatever it was supposed to oh like 30 million and i think all in it probably did reach 3 they fell well short i think they ultimately helped about 10% of the people that they intended to help with the program so um when you when you stack it all up from that standpoint um that's cool it's time for to try to get back to business as usual and yeah you know what when you're the receiver of the the um, handouts or the low rates, however you want to chalk it up, there's never a good time for mom and pop to start pulling back the reins on you. Right? Right, right. <laughs> but I think what was successful about the about the stimulus program is it rebuilt confidence with yeah. a lot of, of the battered homeowners. Everybody turned their back on housing. Right. And, and it rebuilt confidence in housing, and it rebuilt confidence with the people who were stung by housing. And now by, by pulling out of the stimulus, by, by backing off on the quantitative easing, now we're going to start to build confidence with those who are looking for savings rates, looking for higher savings and more investment opportunity. Sure. Well, you don't want too many people saving. We, <laughs> we need them to be out like buying cars and right. dishwashers and stuff like that. <laughs> I'll get back to consumerism. But yeah, it is though. There's a natural progression that's going to happen now where... Um, yeah, if you're financially responsible and understand what to do, there here comes the opportunity to begin to have some positive impact on the household uh, balance sheet and to to make some real headway. So, um, I you know, I'd be lying to you if I said I didn't miss the three percent rate. That was pretty sweet. Um, <laughs> however, the new season to come is going to be just fine too. So. Hey guys, it's the top of the hour here, 11 o'clock. We're going to go ahead and take this commercial break. So go ahead and refill your coffee, water the dog, whatever you got to do. Join us again for the next hour of Mortgage Matters. Thanks, Hugh, for being with us. You're tuned in to Mortgage Matters, which airs every Saturday from 10 a.m. to noon. Your hosts, Dan and Jason, from Central Coast Lending, want you to join the conversation by calling 543-8830 or 800-549-5832. Now, back to the show.
Hey there, welcome back. For those of you just joining us, Happy New Year. Thanks for sticking around. Uh, you didn't get the memo that the show starts at 10. Started at 10 now for a couple of years, but hey, now you know. Pretty excited here to kick off a whole new year. Um, I know it's going to be a pretty rocky, um, exciting, I don't mean to say rocky. Um, there's going to be a lot of shakeup to happen this year. Definitely. Interestingly enough, every week when we prepare our articles and stuff, um, we don't come in talking about um, the news that the uh, Consumer Finance Protection Bureau is um, what they're up to, um, ultimately created by Dodd-Frank, and now on January 10th, taxed with regulating qualified mortgages. And, and some of the people... Um, did I don't read the Tribune. I I don't mean that disrespectfully to anyone. I hope that doesn't offend anybody. It's not a news source for me. I, I check out, I do watch the local news and I check out the Tribune's website for leading stories and local news. But So you do read the Tribune. Yeah, but I don't, it's not like, I don't get the paper and I don't go cover to cover with it. I know that generally you do. What I'm about to say is I think you got to be taking the Times or the Journal or one of these other big um, papers for them to be telling stories about the CFPB or what a qualified residential mortgage is or the Volcker rule and its in its ramifications. Some newspapers are a little more technical. Uh, do they talk about that stuff in the Tribune very often? The Tribune largely is Associated Press articles. Yeah. Um, and the Associated Press, when they report Steers on clear. these more complex financial issues, the facts are sometimes misstated and just not detailed yeah. at all. So for our more savvy and well-read of the economic and technical side of um, what we do, you guys know that there's a lot that we don't talk about because it's boring to the average person. Do you care about Dodd-Frank? I do. I know you do. Jim, you? What? No. Yeah. <laughs> well, he's like, what's Dodd-Frank? No. I mean, well, in yeah, fact, that's true, if, we did some, if we did some jaywalking on Marsh today right. yeah. and went and asked people what Dodd-Frank was, I would be willing to bet you we'd be hard-pressed to find um somebody that could tell us the names of the dodd and of the frank okay so then that that's two people's names then yeah there we go <laughs> okay just it's man, not a, that's not a that, new we car got, we got that cleared up <laughs> yeah okay. so he got that lure coming across now, so right. the, yeah point is i don't think the public at large cares about that stuff too terribly much it's not on their radar um and we don't want to come do the show uh, our thousands of listeners and be appealing to two or three. So we make a conscious decision on some of the, the less commonly important things, I guess I need to say to not, to not share too much about that, but there's some pretty big ramifications of these things right now. Um, so far, just to give you guys the real reader's digest version, um, for, for example, here's a good thing to talk about. After January 10th, so next week, really. On Friday. Loan officers' commissions, in fact, not just the loan officer, but the bank's commissions on a deal 
including certain fees, are not allowed to exceed generally 3% of the loan amount. Some people might say, so what? That's still quite a bit of money. That's more than I make. You guys make more than you should. And some people are going to be up in arms. What business does the government have stepping in to regulate an entire industry and decide what they can and can't set as profit? I mean, after all, we're, this is a capitalist society, right? Can't you get your loan wherever you want to? Shop it, yeah. So if the one, if the if the shop over here on this street is exorbitant fees, then um, thank God you're able to go to any one of the other companies in town and see what they have to offer, right? Um, so that at the same time, you know, what does this rule really attempt to fix? In my estimation. They don't want somebody being able to to um, charge you a tax for being um, less than savvy about loans, right? To don't don't let this like Johnny Fast Talker take this senior citizen woman and charge her five or seven percent because she can't she forgot her glasses and can't even see the paper, right? I mean that fair enough. I'm. I'm glad there's some stop in it. I mean, and it pairs with a couple years ago, they changed the law that a loan officer can no longer be compensated uh, based on the profitability of a loan. Why? Well, loan officers, when they got staked in, in the profits, what makes a loan more profitable? Well, back before this housing crash, adjustable rate loans were more profitable. Negatively amortizing loans, like the most profitable, still want to make more, add a prepayment penalty. Um, all, of, all of these things that were absolutely predatory made the loan officer more money. So is it smart like that to remove the loan officer's profitability? Um, allow him to counsel a client from a standpoint of what's what's best for that particular client as opposed to what's best for the loan officer's pocketbook, I can get behind that. It makes some sense. But then again, at the same time, it's very difficult to go through and regulate an entire industry and tell them what they can and can't make. And it's a very complex issue because sometimes there's reasons to charge somebody a little bit more. I feel like I'm like venturing into uh Pandora's box here by bringing this up, but a really small loan um, that's going to take a, a whole lot of time or some of these government programs that are three and four times the paperwork and the verifications and the just from a personnel standpoint, you got to have to have more staff within your company to do some types of loans than others. And that's capitalism, folks. When your business is a for-profit business, you have to figure out what it costs and, and charge appropriately. And for the government to step in and be able to, to wave over an entire industry and say, you may not make more than X. Um, I hate the slippery slope argument, but what if they came in and did that to dentists in the entire country? You... I don't. I I know that you're the best at what you do. In fact, you um, are top of the class, and all this extra schooling, and you keep up on your continuing education, and you write you write books, and you do pro bono work, and all this. But you, uh, people just 
are being taken advantage of and you're not allowed to charge more than 40 bucks for a cavity. Sorry. We'd be up in arms about that. Um, so a lot of these things have happened and we don't come in here and talk about that every week. Um, I'm not sure that people, the general public actually cares. Well, I think it's important when it's, when it's, um, affecting their, their pocketbook and what they're paying. They need to know the rules. I, I think this is an important issue. And I was looking forward to talking about this today. Um, I think as I've thought about this rule and, and who it's really impacting, because to be honest, I don't know any mortgage company where they, we've mortgage companies in the past two years have been required to set a fixed profit margin so that you can't have Sally walk in the door and, and get a loan where the mortgage company's making one point and uh, John come in the door and he doesn't know anything about finance. So we're charging him five points. Right. You know, so they've, we've been as mortgage companies required to fix our profit margin. So it's the same for everybody who walks in the door, um, regardless of loan amount or, or any, any factors that there could be. And how do you feel about that? I, I well, I feel like it's, it's fair, um, for people. I, I think it does help the less financial savvy not get taken advantage of. I think it's had an unintended consequence that mortgage companies have fattened up their, their normal profit margin for fear. Um, basically a mortgage company had to plan for the worst case scenario, right? The $50,000 loan, which is a low loan amount. Um, they needed to plan for that type of loan walking in the door, because if that's all that walked through the door, they need to budget for that. Right. Um, so profit margins were fattened up. And the reality is bigger loans continued to walk through the door and they just made more money. And we've seen Windfall the numbers. And we've so seen fees on loans have increased by about a hundred percent over the last, um, last three, five years, something like that. So that's the unintended consequence, but I do think it's made things a little bit fair for fairer for some. Um, one of the segments of the real estate and mortgage industry that this is really impacting are the real estate and loan companies who intend to do both sides of the transaction. The rule now states that the maximum compensation for doing a loan, including any affiliated parts of doing the loan is 3%. So if, if there's a company that does real estate and loans, the typical real estate commission is between two and 3%. Um, they're not gonna be able to make their 3% on real estate and then another 2% on the loan that's being capped. So that's, it's basically driving that type of business model out of the industry. Uh, it's separating real estate from loans at risk of going on full blown tangent. You are absolutely nuts. If you want to let somebody sell you a house, I thought you were saying I and do the loan. <laughs> you agree, right? It's, it's, it's yeah, creating yeah. a clear division that you As can no should, longer though. do real estate and loans. Yeah. Agreed. I don't, I don't think people should be doing that. In fact, I get a little uncomfortable with sometimes the like power of the in-house lender relationship that we see around town. Um, in fact, oftentimes, especially with these builders where they have a preferred lender for their track, 
we see people being incented to be driven in droves into lenders that are making crazy profits on loans because they have a captive audience. I, I mean, I that kind of stuff always freaks me out. And it, you know, all in all, I gotta say, uh, what's this? What's the deal? What's the saying? It's like a a person can't serve two masters, right? You you can't do effectively and fairly serve two masters completely and this comes up for me even with the in terms of like real estate just the 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 realtor has the listing and completes the sale there's a disclosure they use for it it's a dual agency disclosure but if you're i'm representing the seller and the buyer now how can i Tell me, how can I possibly give perfectly objective counsel and have both of my clients' best financial interest at heart? Because as a seller, am I not trying to maximize what they get for the sale? Yeah. Well, and they and kind of know the seller's bottom line. Right. And so likewise, then, they know the so buyer's now my bottom buyer, line. I am showing all these other houses around town, right? Totally objectively. Then I show mine, and suddenly my paycheck could go from fifteen thousand to thirty thousand. And now I just I, I usually when you're representing a buyer, you want them to get a great value. You want to negotiate hard for them to make sure that they don't overpay. So now this one person is tasked with maximizing the profits to the seller making sure that the buyer gets a good deal and doesn't overpay. This is a, I know there are good real estate agents that do this and I'm venturing into some ground here that I know is going to piss some people off. However, I would tell any of them, this is a very, very touchy thing that has to be handled with complete tact and care. And I do know very good real estate agents that simply won't do it because they don't want to get ensnared in it. And um, it's just, it's one of those things. It's a, it's a tricky little thing. So go one step further this year. You could sell them, sell a house for a seller, double end it, bringing in the buyer and also be their loan officer. How is this guy now objective about anything? He's nearly going to make his annual salary off of this one client and as an underwriter, what I, I used to underwrite these loans, when there was that, we called that a non-arms link transaction where one person has an increased likelihood to lie now. They might fill out, you know, fudge a bank statement. Oh, uh, if I get the commission for the buy, the sell, and the loan, I'm going to make $60,000. So would I make fake, fake tax returns for 60 grand? You probably wouldn't do it for three grand. Would you do it for 60? Oh, why, why are you making me face this decision? And so in that, it becomes like some person is just too much to gain out of a transaction. I think it should all be separate and have to be separate. But I know, I know that's an extreme opinion. And I'm no, I know that I made some people mad. So let's just say... Call and tell me how wrong I am. Five four three eight eight three zero. I'd like to hear from you. I know we got. I know we got people that are dying to uh, chime in on it. So give us a call. Five four three eight eight three zero. We do have a caller waiting. We've got a local real estate agent, Greg Astle, on the line. 
Hi, guys. Hey, hey good Greg. morning. Happy New Year to you. Same to you. Thank you very much. It's going to be a good one, I think. I sure hope you're right. Yeah, I think it will be. Uh, boy, good. I, I called in to discuss the, uh, uh, the the limits on lenders. That's the first thing I heard you talking about when I hopped into my car. And uh, But then you branched off into some other really interesting territory, too. But to address the uh, your concerns about sort of handcuffing the lender in terms of uh, his profitability and what you know charges he can make and whatnot. What, I, I have a question for you. Sure. What, what uh, impact do you think that the the secondary loan market, that is, you're having to resell many of those loans that you package to Fannie and Freddie, or or you know other circumstances, situations where there's government follow up, there's government involvement after the fact. Doesn't doesn't that sort of give them some additional license to dictate somewhat uh, your profit? Maybe. I mean, does the government, is are they just paying closer attention now to all of these issues because they're so staked in it? And, you know, I mean, Fannie and Freddie are still in conservatorship. Maybe so. I mean, I, my, my overall feeling on it and, and, you know, maybe I'm wrong, but I don't think that on a loan level, per se, they actually still know what's happening on particular loans or or follow up closely to see what happens in those trades. But on the bigger sense, these rules just came about um, in response to problems that were running rampant in like the 01 to 05 era. And... That are no longer occurring today. Like some of the, I mean, specifically some of the issues they're trying to curb are adding a prepayment penalty to a loan unbeknownst to the borrower so that they could make additional profit. Today, there are almost, I'm, I'm, there, there are a couple of portfolio loans where you could still add a prepayment penalty, but for the most part, 95% of the loans that are originated today, prepayment penalties aren't even an option. Another, um, issue that was pretty big came with those pay option arm loans where you were paying, where you were deferring interest back onto your principal balance. Um, though there was a margin component to those adjustable rate loans that the loan officer could buy up unbeknownst to the borrower for additional profit. Those pay, pay option arm loans don't even exist anymore. So those Attempts to curb additional profit unbeknownst to the borrower aren't even available anymore. So the I, I get what you're saying where because these are government-backed loans that maybe they should have a say in the profitability. The problem that I see is that profitability has increased in the past five years because of these new rules when just allowing a competitive free mortgage market was a, a, a more affordable um, avenue for getting a loan. Yeah. I, I hear what you're saying. I just uh, I, I just thought that government involvement might have, you know, might might be, uh, you know, one of the, the indicators or one of the factors that would perhaps give the government a little bit more say. So, so it's just, you know, it's a tricky question. Regarding um, the dual agency thing, I think uh, I, I'm totally in, totally in agreement with Jason that it's you. You have to be working with one extremely honest, ethical, 
and experienced usually realtor in a dual agency scenario to really receive stellar service. The problem in the state of California right now with dual agency is I think a lot of us would love to see the definition of agency changed within the confines of California real estate law. As it stands right now, California real estate law defines the agent as the broker, the overarching broker. For instance, if a broker, a local broker, owns two or three offices uh, in, say, let's just say a theoretical situation, hypothetical situation in San Luis Obispo, if one broker owned three offices within San Luis Obispo under one license, he would then be the agent for all of the uh, uh, sub-agents within his company. All of the licensees within his company were under his brokerage, and therefore each one of them would, by definition, be dual agents in any transaction uh, that involved the sale of one of the company's listings. Right. We'd love, I think many, many realtors, myself included, would love to see that definition go away and have agency become the agent himself, not the employing broker. At that point, that would change the whole uh, uh, dynamic of dual agency. Uh, I mean, it wouldn't make it completely different, but it would certainly um, change the rules to, uh, uh, I think, make it a a more level playing field and, and do away with some of the great concerns that people have about dual agency. I agree with that. I, I think that two individual agents working under the same broker license are, are definitely capable of maintaining their own client's best interest. It's when a single agent representing both buyer and seller. That's One gets a person little... wearing two hats is what I'm talking about. Yeah, yeah and, I, and, and that's true. And, and both of those are, are definitions of dual agency. You can have one, one agent representing both the buyer and the seller, and then you can have John from uh, the agency and Jerry from the same agency representing the buyer and the seller individually, and you're, they're still subject to dual agency laws. Yeah, that, goofy. that's a great point, Greg. I really appreciate you chiming in on that and um, and offering that point of view. Hey, are you out working today? I am out working today. Yes, indeed. I uh, hold, hold an open house up here in Wall Bay. Wall cool. Heights. Well, how can people get a hold of you? They can reach me at 423-7653. I'm going to be up on uh, Kern Avenue for a couple hours this afternoon. Brand new uh, three, three-bedroom, two-bath listing. Cool. What's Long the address? Take a look. What's the address of that house? I wish I could tell you that. I don't have it off the top of my head. <laughs> <laughs> it's, in the, uh, <laughs> it's in the 600 block of Kern. All right. We'll, we'll take a nice scenic drive on Kern Avenue in Morro Bay. We'll, yeah. we'll look for your signs. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Happy right. New Year. Same thanks. Well, that's a, that was a good conversation, good point on the dual agency, because I know that's something that comes up a little bit here. It is time for us to step away for a quick commercial break to thank the sponsors. We'll be right back with more Mortgage Matters. To ask a question or make a comment, call 543-8830 or 800-549-5832. Mortgage Matters on KVEC News Talk 920. We'll be back after these messages from our sponsors. For those of us who live here on the Central Coast, we know this is a unique place to have a home. And for over 30 years, Patterson Realty has been a vital part of San Luis Obispo County. Patterson professionals have led the way in real estate by adapting to new market conditions to make sales happen. What they offer is the quality of their people, agents working just for you. 
Get the experts at Patterson Realty on your side. Experience the Patterson difference. Call 544-8662 or online at pattersonrealty.com. We're the mortgage experts on the Central Coast. Central Coast Lending, Central Coast Lending. When you buy or refinance a home, just call 543-LOAN. Just call 543-LOAN. Just call 543-LOAN. We're the mortgage experts on the Central Coast. Central Coast Lending. Central Coast Lending is locally owned and operated with locations in Paso, Morro Bay, San Luis Obispo, and Arroyo Grande. Central Coast Lending, the mortgage experts. Through seven presidential administrations, bull and bear markets, and unprecedented change, Blakesley and Blakesley has been here helping residents of the Central Coast reach their financial goals. So if you need retirement advice beyond Social Security, want to roll over an old 401k, or simply seek guidance through an important financial decision, visit Blakesley and Blakesley in San Luis Obispo, Paso Robles, and Santa Maria. Blakesley and Blakesley for the service you deserve and the advice you trust. Member FINRA and SIPC. The state of denial is a drag and a trial. When I bought my cheap insurance, should have known this day would come. Now I've had an accident and I'm feeling quite alone. Called them at least 20 times, but they won't pick up the phone. Without personal service, my policy's kind of worthless. Get to a better state, State Farm. Switch to State Farm and you can save. To find out more in San Luis Obispo, call Agent Susan Rodriguez. You're tuned in to Mortgage Matters, which airs every Saturday from 10 a.m. to noon. Your hosts, Dan and Jason from Central Coast Lending, want you to join the conversation by calling 543-8830 or 800-549-5832. Now, back to the show. All right, take your seats, gather around. We only got a half an hour to go. The time goes by quickly in this joint, I notice. Just put a little microphone right here, and then <laughs> it accelerates time. Must have been what Einstein was talking about. Who knew E equals MC squared had to do with radio broadcasts? Had to do with the Mortgage Matters show, too. <laughs> Einstein was thinking about the Mortgage Matters show when he came up with that theory. Of well, we've shows. done a few of his loans <laughs> in the past. You touched on consumer spending about, like, the, you know, the numbers not being hot for December. Consumer spending rose a half a percent in November. My um, my stats stopped there. Did you see, was there the full December release yet of the actual consumer spending numbers? I didn't. What, I'm, what I've been reading is more anecdotal, and it has to do with retailers reporting subpar sales. However, auto companies and some of the, the more the durable goods type of um, sellers, those folks are reporting better sales. So... The retail sales number, um, I think, is is showing some positive movement, but it's because of these other purchases that, as we've known from some past data points, 
that consumers have simply put off longer than normal. Yeah. People have been running with the older car for longer, and it's just come time to replace that. Those aren't sales that recur on a monthly or even annual basis. So um, when we look at, at consumer spending, I think what's most important is the, the more frequent lower dollar type sales, because those are the things that really drive the economy. So tying right into spending comes personal income. This is a, a metric that's tracked. Personal income rose 0.2% in the month of November. And recall, October, it fell 0.1%. So in theory, people are making a little bit more money. The savings rate dropped. So you have spending up, incomes up, savings rate down. That's kind of a, just a funny trio. I always get a kick out of that. Uh, it, it, sometimes you'll see like income up, spending down, savings up, and you go, is that altogether a bad thing? But it, it kind of is. I mean, when, when the economy depends so much on consumption, you really, what you want to see is income up, spending up, savings down, <laughs> or maybe savings flat. I don't know. I, I personally... Um, root for everybody to save more. Um, I saw this thing on Facebook. Did you see it? It's the, um, it's like a new year's resolution saving plan idea. Mm -mm. Um, it's for 52 weeks, right? So over the year and at the end of the first week, you put a buck in the bank. And then at the end of the second week, you put two bucks in and then at so by the end three, of the year, three you're bucks. $52. Yeah. At the week. Yeah. And so all in all, it stacks up to be like 1100 bucks or something like that. But for somebody that really can't save at all and has no demonstrated ability to save and doesn't, you know, because you're a good saver. Yeah, I was going to say, I don't have that problem. You're a good <laughs> saver. I know you. And I, I, I've never even asked your mom this question because I just don't even have to. Um, I'm sure that when you were a kid, you were happy to save money. You probably had like an account with more than a thousand bucks in it by the time you were 10. Oh, I don't know. But I was a good saver. I've always been a good saver. You're a good saver. Um, I'm not a good saver. Never really was. When I was a kid, I was a really good earner. Bam. I had businesses. This will shock you guys. I ran like little companies in my neighborhood. Uh, I set up like the first little recycling business of like friends to go around and collect cans. And I was the one like my involvement after giving everyone their route and everything was to go and, and sell it all and then disperse the profits. Um, I, I sold mistletoe and made a ton of money. Um, we had a pomegranate tree and I, I would go door to door selling just about anything because the, the kids I knew that were boy scouts were selling door to door boy scout stuff. And I'm like, yeah, but you're sending all of that money away. Why don't you, <laughs> why don't you take some of the money you got? So I, I usually did have money, but it was for investment purposes. You know, like I needed to be able to go buy the bags that I was going to wrap, you know, the mistletoe in or something. So I was always organizing some way to make money and i loved spending it um i just did i always had money i could go to the mall at like seven eight <laughs> nine years old and i was a consumer dude there was it was go time so but once i shifted into this period of my life where um i'm saving money out of necessity saving is fun 
It is. It's addicting. <laughs> it it is. gives you really good feelings. Um, it's fun to see your money grow. It's fun to um, and um, and I'll be honest with you. Due to uh, an awful lot of things in my life, I mean, I got married when I was young, and I'm a family of five, and we put ourselves through college, and you don't have a. I, I wasn't able to save money while going to college. You know, I debt financed college, and so. Now that I'm in the season of my life where I'm saving, I'm like going, dude, where are these 5% CD rates? I'm, I can't wait for that. I keep throwing money into my 401k and the only balance is the contribution. I mean, we're not, that thing ain't even growing because everything's just pretty stagnant right now. Um, but point is, going all the way back to the original thought, if you haven't been able to save, you don't know those feelings of like how fun it is to like start to get kind of good at saving. Um, so that that's kind of a cool thing. Throw a week, a dollar in on the first week, two dollars in on the second week. At the end of the year, you will have saved a thousand dollars because if you do nothing, um, then you're you will have just spent the thousand bucks on who knows what. And who misses a buck a week? That's that doesn't you know at least in week one. By the end of the week, when you're saving 50 bucks a week, I could see how that could pinch some people. But anyway, I liked that idea. Yeah, that, that's a good plan. That all came from um, personal income here. You like that? Yeah. It's, it's like eight minutes of radio on, the, <laughs> <laughs> on one little headline. You wonder how this hour goes by so fast. Let me tell you a story about personal income. Um, the other just quick little thing that I wanted to, to touch on here uh jobless claims jobless claims because i feel like we got a couple weeks to catch up on here um well here you go jobless weeks this week were um 339 that's how many people showed up for first time uh unemployment benefit the previous week was revised upward to 341. I think previously it was like 338. So um, all in all, still continuing with this trend, if you look at like, I mean, we've been, the jobless claims have declined week over week for like nine of the last 11 periods or something. Well, so, I thought we got down to 300,000. Yeah, for so th there was a couple pops above that, but then it fell back down. So just looking at the week over week, and those ones I, even though one the first time it fell to two ninety eight, they chalked up to computer glitches and stuff like that. Then we had another one around three hundred um, that really wasn't attributable. I mean, other than Veterans Day it was a shorter week where less people could claim or whatever. Um, the bottom line is this has been positive ground made in the jobless claims numbers. Um, for months in a row and if if nothing else like when you look at like what what was the fed excited about what triggered them to finally taper if it was database i think it was just out of necessity but if it was database this can be one of the only metrics they're tracking that they believe is a leading indicator of what's around the corner and they believe based on unemployment here the initial jobless claims that spring um, and summer are going to be sweet and they're just prepping us for it. So I can get down with that. Jobless claims have been pretty good lately. Where, where were the jobless numbers this week? The, the unemployment report. I thought that came out the first 
week of every month. Oh. First Friday of every month. I was expecting my unemployment number. It's delayed because of the government shutdown. We, I think we get it next week. Well, and the holidays. Yeah. So, okay. Come on. Dan, you Dang. took some days off. You don't take many days off. I know you pretty well. The government guys took some days off, dude. It was the <laughs> <laughs> New Year's and all that. I, some of the companies in town were like making people work on Christmas Eve and just barely getting Christmas Day off. The dudes counting the unemployment report took Christmas Eve off. Uh, uh, you can bet it. All right. So uh, next week. I'm totally making that up. I have no <laughs> idea whether or not that's true. In my mind, though, that's 100% fact. And then another little deal here, um, consumer confidence numbers. We had a couple of those come out recently. Um, the conference board gives the confidence index showing that in spite of um, a spike in mortgage rates, rising home prices, tight credit availability, all these little challenges that folks cited, confidence is up higher. And the momentum here in Americans' confidence in the overall economy is um, it's fueled by an increase of demand for new homes. People have a general sentiment of relief that folks are wanting to buy newly constructed homes. And I go on this rant all the time, but growing up the son of a contractor, oh man, I know how many jobs building a house creates and so many friends and family members that all work in the trades for a living. I can easily see how seeing some demand for newly constructed homes is raising sentiment. It has to, that's, that's huge. Um, and then also, um, just better job prospects, not necessarily in construction related fields, but people are excited about the fact that the employment market seems to be improving. Um, and that's driving consumer confidence up, um, month over month. Um, so that's pretty exciting stuff. So exciting. That's exciting stuff. I think it is. It good. is. Yeah. Hey, it's um, just about that time. We do need to take the the final break of the show. So we're going to play this last little run of commercials here. Won't take long. Listen for the sponsors. Uh, they help make the show possible. When we get back, um, we'll take some phone calls and wrap it up. Stick around for Mortgage Matters. Mortgage Matters with host Dan and Jason will be right back. Join the conversation by calling 543-8830 or 800-549-5832. We're the mortgage experts on the Central Coast. Central Coast Lending. Central Coast Lending. When you buy or refinance a home, just call 543-LOAN. Just call 543-LOAN. Just call 543-LOAN. We're the mortgage experts on the Central Coast. Central Coast Lending. Central Coast Lending is locally owned and operated with locations in Paso, Morro Bay, San Luis Obispo, and Arroyo Grande. Central Coast Lending, the mortgage experts. What a state of generosity. Look what my agent got for me. Just by switching to State Farm. A few hundred unexpected bucks. I couldn't ask for more. But now I've got to figure out what I should use it for. A new bike would be radical, but maybe something practical, like a pet baboon with one robotic arm. Get to a better state, State Farm. Switch to State Farm and you could save. To find out more in San Luis Obispo, call Agent Susan Rodriguez. 
through seven presidential administrations, bull and bear markets, and unprecedented change. Blakesley & Blakesley has been here helping residents of the Central Coast reach their financial goals. So if you need retirement advice beyond Social Security, want to roll over an old 401k, or simply seek guidance through an important financial decision, visit Blakesley & Blakesley in San Luis Obispo, Paso Robles, and Santa Maria. Blakesley & Blakesley, for the service you deserve and the advice you trust. Member FINRA and SIPC. For those of us who live here on the Central Coast, we know this is a unique place to have a home. And for over 30 years, Patterson Realty has been a vital part of San Luis Obispo County. Patterson professionals have led the way in real estate by adapting to new market conditions to make sales happen. What they offer is the quality of their people, agents working just for you. Get the experts at Patterson Realty on your side. Experience the Patterson difference. Call 544-8662 or online at pattersonrealty.com. Welcome back. You're listening to Mortgage Matters with host Dan and Jason from Central Coast Lending. If you want to join the conversation, call the show at 543-8830 or 800-549-5832. Now, here's Dan and Jason. you guys welcome back thanks so much for being with us um i always find myself singing that state farm commercial in the break because it's just such a catchy little about to be in a state of denial yeah um i have a quick little story i sold a car in august of last year and i simply forgot to cancel my auto insurance on that vehicle i called them like four weeks after the car was sold and they were able to backdate it to the sale date and get me the full prorated refund. It was pretty cool. They I said had... normally you have to call a little closer to the sale date, but they pulled a few strings and made it happen over at Susan Rodriguez's office. I was 100% certain that I canceled the insurance on a car that I sold eons ago. And I usually send an email over there because I'm like on a first name basis with the whole office. So I went into my scent mail and I scoured. I searched by every term possible and it occurred to me, I don't think I did it. I, I really don't. I don't think I canceled it. I don't think I made them aware that I sold the car. And so I ended up like kind of, I, I knew better than to just say, I told you to cancel this, but I was like, I'm pretty sure I should have. I thought I told you, but anyway, they backdated one for me by a lot more than four weeks, dude. <laughs> it was like eons. Um, and um, yeah, I've had I've actually had a, a handful of experiences with that office that have been pretty epic. They're, the customer service over there is just, it's amazing. Um, I always like to share the story about my brother-in-law in this story, I refer to him as Knucklehead. When he moved to town, he had Geico. <laughs> and I knew he did because he was on the phone with Geico several times, like trying to get uh, he, the address was never right. They were sending stuff wrong. They had the cars insured wrong. He had cars he thought were insured and weren't. And all the while, I hear him on the phone with Geico. And so I'm like, hey, Knucklehead. Call this company here and get this. And he's like, it's Geico, man. It's the cheapest thing. You see their commercials. And I'm like, they've got the lizard. I'm telling you that 
they it's like uh when a company advertises too much you're buying that advertising it's just a fact um, call State Farm. His insurance went down by like 25%. And the service was, I mean, obviously was epic. He could call him up, walk into the office. I mean, what a novel idea. You could drive a half a block and meet your agent face to face. And was so thrilled to get away from Geico. So now that Geico is going to sue us and put us out of business, um, I, my point is um, you're – don't be like knucklehead. If you've got some insurance with an out-of-town agent that's not giving you good service, we know one local that's generally um, lower priced than competitors and provides amazing service. That's funny that you did that, though. Yeah. Just slipped my mind. I thought it was done. The car was sold. No more to worry about. Well, it is kind of a lot to to keep track of, you know? stressful to sell a car it is hey so there's still an ongoing debate about the future of fannie mae and freddie mac it's one of the big stories um facing the the federal government it's one of the big decisions to be made in the upcoming years how to handle fannie mae and freddie mac and their involvement in the the residential mortgage industry i can't believe you're cracking this can of worms with 10 minutes to go well yeah it is a big topic um you were sharing earlier some of the the successes of the um, of the stimulus and the bailouts that occurred. And Freddie Mac and Fannie Mae were responsible for the largest of all the bailouts. Combined, um, the federal government spent one hundred and eighty seven point five billion dollars bailing out Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac. Um, to date. Fannie and Freddie have paid the government a total of $185.3 billion of that back. Per near the whole thing. Nearly all of it. They're a little more than $2 billion short. They just made a, a $39 billion payment for their latest quarterly payment. And they, f- looking forward, they look to be, um, to be earning $40 to $50 billion a year. Wow. So they're very profitable. They've proven to be very profitable. They purchase or guarantee um, a little more than 60% of all residential mortgages in the country. Um, I was surprised that it was that low, honestly. I mean, I guess FHA is not a Fannie Mae or Freddie. It, that's a Jenny Mae security. Correct. So that's probably where the other... 40% or so is going. A big chunk of it's there. I mean, some of it's private label security, that's, like the big jumbo stuff, but that's probably less than a half like a five, percent. Uh, yeah, maybe, yeah, 5%, I'd say. I don't even I don't think even, it's nearly, I don't think it's even over 1%. Yeah. But yeah, the like ag loans, um, like so USDA, FHA, ag loans, all those kinds of loans, like that Ginny Mae type of stuff are going to be the ones that aren't counted under the agency model. But the so, fact is, it's more than half of the loans produced in the nation. The concern here is that, you know, right now they're under conservatorship. The The public is responsible for the performance of Fannie and Freddie, and they're proving to be a good bet right now. Right uh, now? Looking forward to, possibly. But there's this, the concern from some congressman and the presidential administration is that should we ever encounter a housing crisis like we just endured um, that even if they're back to being their quasi private 
entities like they were before the housing crisis, that there's still this precedent that's been set that the, the public will bail them out if and when necessary. That in good times, the private investor benefits, but in the bad times, the public is put on the hook. And so that's the concern. Yeah, um, there's some part of me that that feels like we should back up and talk a little bit more about why the need for Fannie and Freddie and all this. I'm going to assume that everybody understands why it's so critical that we have Fannie and Freddie. Most basically, it's so that loans can be traded to keep liquidity moving um, around the nation where where loans are needed. You know, if your local bank loaned out all of their money already and you need a mortgage, you going to get one from New York or would you be happier to know that your local bank sold 10 of them over to New York and now have money to loan you money again? I mean, that's kind of the principle. So it creates these common guidelines that everybody knows and trusts. And um, with those standards being so equal, it creates tradable notes. I mean, that's the bottom line. That being said, I have a huge issue with Fannie and Freddie having been um, private sector enterprises that were government sponsored and sponsored implied that if it came down to it, the government was going to hop in and make sure that it was um, that these companies were solvent. To me, that's what sponsored always meant. It was hard to imagine a set of circumstances in which the government was going to have to like systemically right their wrongs because I think at the end of the day it was kind of like the agencies had the nod of the government and they were you know closely monitored by Congress and all these things to, to kind of do right and follow policy and legislation and uh, of the government but all in all it was a private firm they got over leveraged so they were allowed to leverage far too much in fact at some point, I think Fannie was over 50 to 1 leverage ratios. Today, the all of these different regulations cap that closer to 15 to 1, which is sort of more normal, right? So going right back to the very basic issue, it was a government-sponsored enterprise to begin with. They privatized the profit and made public the losses when they finally tanked. Let's keep them. Uh, they're in conservatorship. Let's just make them full-on government enterprise. Remove the word sponsor. Keep the government involved in mortgages. Keep it. It's a profit center. Regulate the leverage ratios so that you can't lose what they lost. And continue to regulate and keep normal a market for trading these loans to keep credit available and money liquid across the nation. Um, and folks... I, I take the high road 99 out of 100 times on this show in terms of government and what I think government should be involved in. I am not, not the guy that's walking around alleging that the government should be involved in most aspects of business or day-to-day -day life. If anything, I err on the far other side. I'm not at all reluctant to say I think the government should remain in control of Fannie and Freddie and turn them into, if nothing else, kind of like a, a public utility kind of thing. It just is. It's the framework by which loans are made. 
I'm not saying that the government have to buy these loans because truly Fannie and Freddie, though they guaranteed these loans, aren't always the end owner of the loan. They just guarantee its performance by having by being underwritten to a standard to set a of standard. Yeah. And, and then the person that originates it is providing representations of what's in the loan and warrants of what they've included. And, and those reps and warrants that go out with that loan create some liability to them. So you couple that with some of this Dodd-Frank stuff that's happened for qualified mortgages with um, appraisals that are independent and not being swayed. You couple that with caps to commissions so that loan officers can't take advantage of people. You remove negatively amortizing products from a, a legal loan type. All of this stuff, man, have we really, if if the loan market was a big ball of noodles that you were trying to pick up barehanded years ago, loose ends everywhere. Today, where are the loose ends at, man? This It's tight. Well, if nothing else, we've learned how big the mortgage industry is, how damaging it can be if it gets out of control. Um, by maintaining government involvement in mortgages, yeah, there's a risk that the public could be on the hook in the face of another crisis, but now the government's going to remain involved, so hopefully we can avoid another crisis. Yeah, you, you I think can't one of the runaway to begin with. One yeah. of the biggest problems was allowing private institutions, private banking firms, the Goldman Sachs, the Bear Stearns, those firms to assume that they're going to re self-regulate and and maintain some kind of standards that are going to Yeah. I mean that and clearly didn't happen. So now this forces the watchdog of the government to totally keep their eye and on the talk ball. about regulation too little too late i mean all of the stuff that's in place today probably belonged in place 10 years ago and we would have missed the whole crisis if it were so you know that being said last point about it if you like a 30-year fixed rate mortgage or even a 15-year secondary market you have to have entities like these period that's a fact I told you you couldn't do that with 10 minutes to go. Um, that's something we could literally do an entire show on because the when you hear, I, I read like, oh, so-and-so from such-and-such a state is out talking about Fannie Mae, and I watch the way he talks about it. It's like, you don't even know what you're talking about. It's such a complex subject, and it's so critical to the, the nation's economy. Um, hey, folks, thanks for being with us today. If you need any help at all with a loan, we'd love to hear from you. Find us on the web. We're centralcoastlending.com. One number to all of our offices, 543-LOAN. Um, if you want to talk about the loan you have or maybe get qualified to buy something, just give us a call. We also love to beat any competitor's offer. So if you know anybody getting a loan today, tell them to come to us and we'll give them a better deal. Centralcoastlending.com, 543-LOAN. See you next week.